This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Julia Magana. Welcome back to EM Pulse. Last month in COVID Under the Magnifying Glass, we talked about how COVID has impacted us all in different ways. I think we can all agree that New York City was affected worse than most of our communities and definitely worse than we were affected here in California. So Californians sent a team of physicians to alleviate some of that pressure on providers in New York City and to learn how we can prepare our own state for surge. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Alex Schmaltz, an emergency medicine senior resident who was a part of that team. He tells the story of a hospital filled with hundreds of patients on ventilators, lines clotting off in front of you, and an ophthalmologist who can't run a vent but can run around the hospital updating families with an iPad. So without further ado, here's Dr. Alex Schmaltz and his story, Lessons Learned from New York City. I'm Alex Schmaltz. I'm a third-year emergency medicine resident at UC Davis, and I went out for a few weeks to work in New York City, in Queens specifically at Elmhurst, one of the hardest-hit hospital systems or hospitals in the country in regards to COVID-19. And why did you do that? Why leave the comfort of California and fly all the way across the country in the middle of a pandemic? I think the underlying reason for that is, is I wanted to be useful and wanted to be helpful. And we were preparing and preparing and preparing and preparing here for a surge that didn't really hit. We definitely got a spike in cases, but our public health efforts here were so effective that we never got anything to the magnitude of what we got in New York City. And when we realized that we had kind of hit that peak of the curve or flattened the curve to such an extent that we weren't going to get that tidal wave of patients that overwhelmed the system, I thought that the best use for my skills uh, and the best thing for patients and people in general was for us to go out to New York and help out with the system that had been overwhelmed there. And you were sent by the state of California, right? What were you guys sent to do and what did you find? Yeah, so there was a delegation through the CMA, the California Medical Association, and through Gavin Newsom and the the state of California that was sent out there to kind of accomplished two goals. The first goal was to help and show camaraderie and try and alleviate this huge burden that was on the, the New York health system. And we did that through mostly providing patient care and giving the providers who've been working for weeks straight at this point in time a break and um, allowing them some chance to catch their breath by kind of plugging us into to roles that they'd been been expanded to take care of that was the, the day in, day out of what we, we did. But every night we, we kind of came home and reflected on, on what lessons we could learn. And that was the second big goal, was trying to figure out what we could take away and use to help patients in California and other states when and if this COVID-19 surge hits to the same magnitude it did in New York. That was a fascinating challenge, I think was focusing a lot on the medical aspects, but also a lot on the systems aspects and the disaster aspects of how best to prepare a system. And what did you guys learn, Alex? Was there any major lessons that you learned? We learned so much. I kind of bucket things into a medical lessons learned and then into a 
systems and people lessons learned. And the, the medical lessons learned, COVID is something that we just don't understand. There was a great analogy that one of the providers out there used that I kind of thought was very apt. You know, things like, like COPD or CHF or other things that have been around for generations or centuries, we've had this understanding that's been passed down to us by our like our grand doctors and great grand doctors. And, and we have this understanding that is so perfect and honed over time. And we, we see a CHF and we know exactly what to do. We know we, we give specific meds and we will see a specific change and this patient will get better. But right now, in a lot of ways, we are those grand doctors and great grand doctors that people will look back to. And we're trying to figure out what's going on with this disease, and we don't have good treatments for it now. You know, there's all these things that are being thrown around in the news, like serum or azithromycin or IL-6 inhibitors or things like that. They, yeah, they might be promising, but we, we don't know. And we're watching this to see if, if they work. But right now, we're, we're kind of figuring everything out on shift. And it's a very visceral way of learning where you're literally watching your understanding of this bizarre and really strange disease unfold in front of you. That's, I think, from the medical standpoint, what really stuck out to me is we don't know much about this. And it's a scary disease. The vast majority of the people who get intubated worldwide never get extubated. And that, to me, is, is really scary. And I think it kind of points to the fact that we don't have great treatments yet. We don't have any sort of cure, quote unquote. And from the basic science level, you're watching things that you've never seen before, like your central lines clawed off in front of your eyes multiple times in a row and all three ports. And, and then you flush them and you get pulled back and then you, you, you're like, okay, it's good. And then they clot again. Wow. And all of our patients have had end-stage renal disease, which I wasn't really aware was a sequelae of this. And then you're also talking to the neurologist who are seeing 27-year-olds with strokes and things that you're trying to look at the stars and pull together a constellation from, pull together something that makes sense, but it doesn't yet. That's the biggest thing from a medical standpoint is that it's scary. And when people get sick, we don't have great treatments. And then from a system standpoint, from a human standpoint, there was a few things that really stuck out to me. The first thing is just that people are amazing. I am so blown away with how adaptable and how just fantastic all of the, the people that we worked with were there. You know, they took an eight bed ICU and had 160 intubated patients. Whoa! And that blows your minds. And they did that in a rapid succession, rapid course. And they were understaffed and everyone was just said, how can I help? And the whole time we were there, we didn't hear any complaining. We just heard people being helpful. You know, it's people that it's, it's well beyond their scope of practice. They just did. They just did what they knew they needed to do to help out. And oftentimes without necessarily the assurances that everything was going to be okay. You had residents managing lots of things that they hadn't done before. And you had attending pediatricians stepping up and helping out on floor services. And you had, you had this ophthalmologist who was it's like, I, I don't have a skill set to help here, but I can talk to patients. And he was walking around with an iPad and talking, showing all the patients' families, every patient on our floor every single day, because they couldn't visit the families. They couldn't visit their patients and they couldn't see this. They couldn't see any of this. And that, you know, it's like every little thing, people were just pitching it. 
that blew me away. So like, I think that in terms of a human systems, people were just amazing. That's really beautiful, Alex. I mean, I just can see this ophthalmologist rolling around with an iPad. It's a beautiful picture. Yeah. It's like a Brady Bunch screen of like all of the family members, like all these little squares of the patient's cousin and aunt and sister and wife and all of their loved ones. That's the only way that they can see their loved one every day. And people just volunteering from all over the country. You know, like most of the docs we were working with were all volunteer. And there was nurses and PAs and MPs coming from like from Georgia, from Florida, from Louisiana, from Michigan, from Minnesota, from the Pacific Northwest. They came from everywhere. And the amount of accents you heard while walking around that floor that were muffled behind their N95s, it was pretty impressive. It was pretty cool. So what did you actually do while you were there? By the time we got there, the surge in the emergency departments had kind of died down and social distancing was really working. So the emergency department volume, they didn't need us there, but they had a ton of intubated patients upstairs because all these people had come in weeks earlier. So we kind of did a couple of things. We ran an ICU. So the CMA emergency department attendings got a team of 10 with a couple of residents that were internal medicine. They had a, an internal medicine attending consult kind of role. And so we ran the quick care service for, for a lot of these folks in conjunction with, with these internal medicine doctors. And then we always had the quick care doctors kind of as a backup for whenever we, we needed help or when we needed guidance because you know, everybody was working a little bit out of their wheelhouse to, to try and cover all the gaps. But with the CMA docs and, and myself, we had a floor of 40 ventilated patients. And then we also literally went door to door to every single floor room and just checked in on all of the patients. And we'd, we'd poke our head in and be like, they look like they're okay. They're not breathing hard. And we go to the next room. And we like, they look like they're okay. They're not breathing hard. They're not, their numbers look okay. And you go to the next room. And then you'd see somebody who's working a little bit hard. And we'd be their quick care consult on the floor. And so we'd kind of try and fine tune them so they wouldn't get so sick they had to be bumped up to the ICU. And then if they did kind of approach that, we would talk to the floor teams and be like, hey, we think this person needs a higher level of care and work to bump them up. But normally we'd we'd help give them a critical care expertise on the floor. And this was mostly the internal medicine residents that we were helping out there and working working side by side with. Alex, how has this experience changed you as a person and as a physician? In a lot of ways it's given me just so much more faith in humankind, you know? Like you hear all this stuff in the news where you see these people rioting at the state capitals with guns and and I understand their frustrations. You see all this this negativity on both sides of the aisle and you see one news source bashing liberals and another news source bashing Republicans and and nobody seems to be painted as a good person in these lights. And then going there and seeing everybody just be like, how can you put me in? How can I help make people's lives better? That was a very real in-person reminder that, that there are an amazing amount of good people in this world. And there are an amazing amount of good people trying to help other people, regardless of what connection they have to them. That was inspiring and uplifting. I think it also made me realize that this kind of work is incredibly fulfilling. You go there and this is in a lot of ways why people, especially emergency medicine or other kind of high acuity specialties do medicine, you know, 
you, you go there and you feel like you're making an impact and you realize that you have this skill set and that can that can really help people's lives and it's very grounding in that regard that like maybe the last you know 10 years of your life were really really worth it <laughs> that's that's good <laughs> that's reassuring <laughs> in a lot of ways it, it, it was kind of like a coming of age for like being a doctor which is kind of cool it's like i'm finishing residency and then all of a sudden you, yeah you get out there and you're like man this is a it's a great skill set we have like we we have some cool like I don't want to use the term like superpowers, but like we have some powers that like that can make a difference. And, you know, looking at these books for 10 years has actually given us a skill set that can help people's lives. So good. Well, thank you, Alex, for doing that, for going out there and learning for all of us and for making the difference that you did. It's been an honor to work with you and we will miss you next year for sure. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time to spread this message of what's going on out there. I appreciate it. I know I enjoyed hearing what lessons Alex learned and how we can prepare. Stay tuned for our June 17th episode on Surge. There you will hear from the critical care doctor at Elmhurst, New York City, where our team of doctors visited. He shares with us how they handled the surge from the provider standpoint, and we'll also hear from other experts on how we can prepare when our hospital faces a surge. See you then. See you then.